And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor. He's a professor at Grove City College and executive director of the college's Center for Vision and Values. Dr. Kangor, welcome to our program. Well, thank you, Dan. Good to be back. It's always a delight to have you on. Our listeners have gotten to know you a little bit. You certainly have your finger on the pulse of um, political situations in America, and you couple that with a biblical worldview, and it's it's quite a delight to have you on today. Oh, well, thank you. Um, our country, um, can I say it? It's in bad shape. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> it is, and it's it's somewhat depressing to those of us who who really want to see um, Christianity influence culture, because that gives us the most freedom, and in particular, it ties into redemption of, of God's people. Um, maybe you can give us your perspective today on where you think our country is right now. Feel free, you know, maybe we'll get into a discussion of um, the two candidates even without, we never endorse a candidate over the air, but uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's a dismal situation, Dan. No, no question about it. I mean, you're looking at the prospect here in November, and I guess even further than that, January, at Americans electing and inaugurating somebody for president who a strong majority of the country doesn't like, <laughs> whether yeah. whether it's Hillary Clinton or or Donald Trump. I mean, they have they have the two highest uh, disapproval ratings of um, anybody who's who's who've been the major party nominees uh, I, the 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 only one close to this was George HW Bush in 1992 mm-hmm. who got 36% of the vote so oh. he got he got crushed that year uh, Donald Trump's disapprovals are around 60 to 70% which is astronomical Hillary Clinton's are around 55 to 60 percent, which are terrible, not as bad as Trump's, but terrible. Um, and, you know, for a conservative Republican like me, this is um, very distressing because <laughs> the, Hillary Clinton, I think, is the most beatable um, liberal Democrat since George McGovern. Mm-hmm. And uh, Republicans have basically nominated the only person more unpopular than her to take her on. Yeah. Um, and especially in a year when you had people like Marco Rubio, John Kasich, uh, who who crush her in uh, one-on-one contests. They both beat her by about 10 points. Uh, even Ted Cruz, I think, would um, was either neck and neck or beat her by one or two points. Mm-hmm. So the Republicans had upwards of a dozen different candidates who could who, who could beat her, and they've nominated the one guy who I who I think not only can't but won't. Um, yeah, we'll give you one stat here, Dan. Uh, Donald Trump and his supporters boast that he got a record number of Republican primary votes, mm-hmm. which he did. He got 14 million. And and by the way, that um, that beats the record held by George W. Bush in 2000, who went on to not win <laughs> the popular vote in 2000. But yeah. while Trump got 14 million. And that sounds good, and it is a record number. Here's a couple frightening numbers for for Trump supporters. Hillary got 17 million, and Bernie Sanders got 13 million. So Bernie Sanders, a lifetime avowed socialist, got 13 million votes. 
and Trump got $14 million. Yeah. And, and make it even worse, Trump got that number because Ted Cruz and Kasich and Marco Rubio and everybody else dropped out um, after Indiana, Rubio's case long before Indiana. So Trump went on to get about 2 million votes in California, um, and, and you know, it, at, at that, Cruz was already out. So Trump could have got, in the end, Trump could have got less votes than Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So, so you know, the, you know, the situation in many ways for the country politically is, uh, is really, really dismal right now. <laughs> it really is. In your opinion, what was the dynamic that took place, you already kind of touched on this, such that Trump became the nominee? Yeah, it's it's very simple. There were 17 people who who wanted to run against Hillary Clinton on the Republican side because, as I said, she's the most beatable Democrat since George McGovern. Sure. So so Republicans were were stampeding over one another to to be to be the one to run against them, and, and even Barack Obama, you know, kind of quizzically looking with amazement, the Republicans picked the the weakest among them, Trump, one who wasn't even a Republican and actually voted for Obama in 2008. Uh, But but Obama said in amazement, he said this was the strongest Republican uh, bench or grouping that he's ever seen, thinking of people like Rubio and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Uh, so, so you had this this crush of uh, of candidates to run against Hillary, and and the way that that Trump came out came out on top was name recognition, personality. He had twenty to twenty five percent of the vote when the other sixteen uh, split the remaining seventy five percent, and so that was his strength. And 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 in the end. Um, Trump, even with that 14 million votes, he only got 44 percent of Republican votes. Uh, you know, the, a, a decisive majority, 56 percent of Republicans in the primary, um, did not vote for Trump. Um, and, and here again, I know I'm throwing out a lot of statistics, but here's one more for people to really soberly think about on the Trump side. He got 14 million votes. Okay, well. He's going to need sixty-five million to win, yeah. Because that—that's what Barack Obama got in in twenty twelve. He's going to need Trump doesn't need fourteen million. He needs sixty-five million, yeah. and and just because he got fourteen million in the Republican primary doesn't mean he's going to get sixty-five million in the general election. Yeah. So I I think um, this is a get. I I've noted I'm a conservative Republican. And the thing I've dreaded for quite some time is the Hillary Clinton presidency, because I think it's going to be devastating for religious liberty. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think she had any chance of winning in 2016 when I looked at the situation in 2012. But I didn't count on Republicans nominating Donald Trump. <laughs> and so I think right. she, so I think she will win. And I think that that's a very tragic situation for religious liberty in, in the country in the in the generation ahead. Oh, sure. And and uh, listeners to Christian radio need to realize that um, these sort of things have uh, ripple effects into free speech regarding Christian radio as well. Now, um, let's look at Hillary. Um, let's understand her a little bit. Um, is she a socialist? Uh, no, you know, I don't. 
I don't think she's a socialist. And and uh, people, uh, bear in mind, I wrote a whole book on Hillary Clinton. I wrote a 300-some page book called God and Hillary Clinton on, on the Faith of Hillary Clinton. Why would I write that? Well, I, I did a number of books in, in this series, this genre. I did God and Ronald Reagan, God and George W. Bush, God and Hillary Clinton. It's another way of saying the faith of. Yeah. So I studied her very, very carefully. She's definitely on the left. Uh, she, economically speaking, she had she had always been more on the moderate Democrat side uh, for, for a while. Now, now that said, uh, it's very it's a very complicated picture. She she was she Hillary Clinton as a teenager supported Barry Goldwater. Well, wow. uh, she was a Goldwater girl. Her, her her father, Hugh Rodham, was a conservative Republican businessman who raised his daughter that way. Uh, she got tugged to the left by a social justice, socialist, Methodist youth minister at her church in Park Ridge, Illinois. Park Ridge United Methodist Church, his name was Don Jones, and he's the one that started tugging her to the left in the, in the mid to later 60s. Uh, she, she, Don Jones introduced her to Saul Alinsky, Oh my! Uh, yeah, so imagine that for uh, for for one of the youth groups field trips, <laughs> mission trips. <laughs> the, the, this this youth minister who who by who by the way Dan the, the the parents at the church were really concerned about this youth minister, and it turned out they were right to be. <laughs> you know, he he takes them on a mission trip to meet with Saul Alinsky. And this couldn't have been religious, because Saul Alinsky was an agnostic, if not atheistic, Jew. He was an ethnic Jew who was non-religious. Mm-hmm. And he was a socialist, and, and probably even a communist at one point, <laughs> and definitely a radical. So, it's like so you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. So Don Jones introduces Hillary to Saul Alinsky. It starts for her a, um, a fairly close relationship with Alinsky, uh, the, the conservative father sends his daughter off to Wellesley in, in New England. So you know he did what probably a lot of parents listening to us have done: send, send the conservative Christian child off to a, a uh, liberal college, secular college, with his life savings. Within four years, she becomes a raving leftist because the university undermines everything that he taught his daughter mm-hmm. at home. And for her senior thesis at Wellesley, she did her senior thesis on the tactics and strategies of Saul Alinsky. <laughs> and and, and she, she reconnected with Saul. She became a pen pal with him. She offered, he offered her an internship, which she didn't accept. But she was working at that point in law school. He died in, I think it was 71 or 1972, but she stayed close to him. And at that point, she was probably more socialistic. Uh, she became a bit more of a moderate Democrat economically when, uh, when she ended up in Arkansas as mm-hmm. first lady to Bill Clinton. Um, but but economic, so economically speaking, she's been a little closer to middle of the road, but lately has tilted even more to the left. Uh, I, I'm much more worried about her culturally, where she stands on abortion, uh, marriage, 
you know, the so-called LGBTQ agenda, where sure. she's gone full throttle far left, and which is sad, because when I first wrote that book on her faith, she defended traditional marriage. Yeah. Uh, but but she's gone totally left on that. So so I I'm really more worried about her on those issues. So uh, oh that's interesting. So you think that she will be elected, and uh, maybe we just better brace ourselves now um, regarding loss of our religious liberties and start um, uh, really praying hard. Yeah, I I think she will win forty states, yeah. and I I think Trump is not going to get more than 35 to 40 percent of the vote. Um, sadly, she's not going to get more than about 45, mm-hmm. which means that in a normal year, she'd, she'd lose to, to a Republican. Um, I, I tried to tell Trump supporters, uh, I know you like the guy, but... You you know electability is not a four letter word. Okay, <laughs> you know you you have to think. Does the larger country like him? Yes. A- and you know you you might not see a Cruz, a Rubio, or a Kasich as perfect. Neither do I. Mm-mm. But 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 you you have to look at who's electable. Okay, you have to look at who's electable. That that that, that matters. You've touched upon something there, and that is um, whether. The candidate needs to be perfect. And I, I yeah. see a lot of sentiments on Facebook. I usually don't respond to them uh, regarding who I can vote for, who I can't. In fact, some try to place place people on a guilt trip, which I think is totally out of line. But um, do these candidates need to be perfect? No, they don't. And by the way, it's not our fault uh, that other people have um, decided on a nominee um, who they irresponsibly and quite recklessly put forward this nominee who has no chance uh, of, of winning a general election. Right. That doesn't become our responsibility. That's, 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 that's their fault. Sure. But, but yeah, th- this, this demand for perfectibility, I see that much more on, with people on my side, the conservative Republican side, than I do on the liberal side. And it's funny because liberals are the utopians, right? You know, we're, yeah, sure. we're the Christians who understand man's fallen nature. Um, we shouldn't be looking for perfectibility. But li- liberals and Democrats are much better at saying, uh, yeah, you know, we, look, we, Hillary, we don't really like her much either. She's very corrupt, can't really trust her. Uh, but, you know, we'll take her in order to defeat the Republicans. Sure, sure. Yeah, they're much better at that. I can't even begin to tell you all the emails that I got and still get from people on the Republican side that um, will not vote for Marco Rubio because of his vote on the Gang of Eight thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell them, I'll send them the American Conservative Union ranking on Rubio, the Heritage Foundation scorecard. Rubio ranks at about a 96% conservative rating. Oh, that's interesting. Which is, which is a higher score than Ronald Reagan would have wow. received. I, I know that, as a matter of fact. But because they don't like him on immigration, he's impure. Yeah, They're not going to vote for him. Uh, I was getting emails from conservatives who will not vote for Ted Cruz because of where he stands on the TPP trade thing. Mm-hmm. Ted Cruz has a literal 100% American conservative union ranking. <laughs> I think he's the only person in the entire Senate maybe Mike Lee, who gets 100%. Yeah. He's to the right of Reagan. 
Oh, yeah, and they sure. were telling me he wasn't pure enough. <laughs> and 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 the, but but oddly, uh, these people tend to be Trump supporters. Who, if he even had um, a scorecard that you could rate throughout his life, would probably rank about a forty. Yeah. Uh, but 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 they but they don't care. They kind of project upon him whatever whatever they want. And and actually, Trump is lucky he doesn't have a voting record. So they can't nitpick what they like and don't like about him. But this demand for perfectibility in in candidates and our people is a is a is incredibly illogical and incredibly damaging. And 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 you don't see it happen with people on the left side who are just simply smarter about this when it comes to their people. They really are. Uh, today we're talking with the professor of political science at Grove City College, Dr. Paul Kangor. And uh, before I forget, Dr. Kangor, if, if we have a young person listening who's looking for a college to attend, um, tell them about uh, Grove City for just a minute. Well, thank you. Yeah, Grove City College. We are located in Grove City, Pennsylvania. That uh, you know, Grove City College. Some people, uh, if you're if you're in California or New York, City College sometimes means community college, right? But we're not a community college. Uh, it's called Grove City College, named after the town in Grove City, Pennsylvania. We're a four-year private liberal arts um, Christian college. And we are a truly conservative Christian college. There's maybe five of us in the mm-hmm. country. There's not very many of us. And we take no government money at any level. We went all the way to the Supreme Court for that in 1984. We lost that court case, but still we take no government money. And we are listed as one of the best buys in American college education. You can go here. Uh, for tuition, room, and board at a sticker price of about twenty three thousand a year. Oh, that's good Which, to know. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a it's a great deal. And come here and take my classes in in political science. We have a we have a great political science department here. Yeah. Now, some people might say, "Ah, oh, you're not taking government money. That means that the price is so high." But can you explain to people why that is better? Yeah, well, it's our Christian ethic that that um, you know we uh, we we don't spend money that we don't have. Mm-hmm. We've never borrowed. Uh, we don't do building projects unless we can pay for them. We don't have debt, and this goes back to you know the the founders of the college, mm-hmm. and, and also too we reject the government money because what happened was we learned that if you take Dan literally one cent. Of government money, they think they own you. Yes, they 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 subject you to the you know hundred thousand pages of federal guidelines on everything and think <laughs> that they can tell you what to do. Yeah, and and it, it's it's out of control. So so we just decided that we're better off not even having the albatross around our neck. And a lot of other colleges, I've found this, they get addicted to that government money like a heroin addict. Oh yeah, and and they and they and they can't kick it. And uh, so we, you know, we we don't we don't have that problem. Yeah. Now we've got maybe five minutes left. I wanted to ask you about um, the scriptures and how is it that the scriptures tend to fall out towards um, honoring people, uh, seeing the image of God in people, not stealing from them, not wanting what others. I mean, this, this just flows naturally out of scripture, and therefore says that socialism is not a biblical idea. Right. 
book, what, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. Yeah implies that you have a sacred right to property mm-hmm. um, which which you do I, I mean you know, it, it's it's an inalienable unalienable right mm-hmm. uh, well life liberty and the pursuit of happiness are but you know, that you know that phrase that Jefferson uses comes from a Lockean tradition of life liberty and property as um, as basic human rights you have a basic human right to it yeah. and you know you can't look, look you know, real Christian charity uh, you know, think of um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yes. The Good Samaritan sees the wounded traveler on the road to Jericho, and what does he do? He doesn't stop and start barking at people around him, saying, go get the authorities, everybody pull a dollar out of your pocket, um, everybody help this guy, um, go get the local constable to force everybody right. to uh, empty out their pocket. No, the Good Samaritan helps the wounded traveler himself, right. puts him up on the mule, the donkey, the horse, and takes him to the inn and, and says, here's money to take care of this person, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to be back here in a week, and I'm going to check on him and make sure that you took care of him, and then I'm going to follow up on this. You know, that, that, that's all private charity. That's, that's how you help people. Mm-hmm. That's what impresses Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not a federal Leviathan where you take from your neighbor to help the poor and you never even see the poor that, that you help. Yes, right. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're commended to private property, private charity. You know, that, you know, that, you know giving where it hurts, where you can really feel it. And, you know, that's what charity needs to be about. Not, you know, not a giant socialist welfare uh, leviathan federal government in Washington. That That's not real charity. Oh, no, it's so true. Uh, we raise our Christian kids. We happen to do home education here. and We do, too. To have a high view of work and to be productive and not look for government handouts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, just the way we raised them. It's the biblical way we felt. And yet, um, it's better for the country. It's much better. And yet what I see, what's so very hard for people to realize is that if you if you decide to accept a lot of government handouts, you you can actually have a lot more than like the middle class has, um, right? You, right. you know, yeah. and there's well, no incentive to really work hard, though. That's right. I mean, everybody listening, look. If you raised your kids to look to to government as a last resort rather than as a first resort, um, the country would be more solvent. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just simply a better society. It's just simply a better way to go. And I'm not saying that the that the state has no responsibility at all in, in helping the poor. Sure. I think it does and needs to, especially as a safety net and where everything else fails. Mm-hmm. But, but let's, let's do it as, as a last resort rather than as a first resort. I mean, it's just simply, it's better for the individual, too. It's more uplifting for the individual um, to help up himself or herself rather than to, than to look to Washington for a handout. Yeah, the other day we had to hire a contractor to come into my dad's house and work on his chimney, and this guy did a beautiful job. He hired three other men, and he did exactly what he said he would do. And then at the end, we paid him promptly. And I, I tell you, you could tell that guy felt really good about the good work that he produced for his client. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's redeeming, 
um, you know, that, that's the value, that's the product. That man would much rather do that than, than sit at home uh, oh, yeah. surfing cable channels and, and collecting a welfare check. I yeah. mean, that, that, you know, the, the, the latter is not what God intended for humanity. Yeah, it's true. we got about two minutes left. Uh, today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kengor, uh, professor of political science, Grove City College. Um, another minute or two, just uh, advising people how not to get discouraged, even though there's so much to get discouraged about. Well, it's not easy. You know, I, I, I get really, I get depressed about this. <laughs> I, I really do. Um, but, you know, the the theological virtues are faith, hope, and charity. Mm. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said that hope is about having hope when things seem hopeless. Mm. And, and and really, that's right. I mean, it's times when hope is tested that you really need to rely on faith and hope even more. So uh, maybe I'm saying this to try to pick myself up. <laughs> this, this is, these words are, are therapy for myself as well as maybe for listeners, Dan. But, uh, yeah, all you can do is try to have hope and try to have faith. And you know, we're here in this world for a limited amount of time. And while we're here, you have to try to make for a better country and culture. And, uh, you know, Jesus wants us here as his hands and helpers to, to, try to, to, try to, make for, to try to make for a better world. Uh, that's very true. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us today. We've been talking with Dr. Paul Kangor, professor at Grove City College. Has the school year started yet down there? Yeah, actually, we started yesterday. So that would be this past Monday. Yeah, that's right. Well, again, Dr. Kangor, thank you so very much. And to our listener, this entire broadcast is up on our website. Please check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And for Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.